What is a speed round? What is that? Tell me. Bill, uh, I'm, what's I'm, a speed round? What I'm, are we going to do? <laughs> I'm saying we do our entire show. We see how f- quickly we can get to the end. Like the FedEx guy. <laughs> yeah. Remember those commercials? Yeah, we have an arrow in the middle of our logo. No one ever noticed. Right. And, but then they saw it, and now they can't unsee it. <laughs> Happy March, everyone. It's uh, it's Tuesday. It's I, I could say it's Super Tuesday, but when you listen to OTP, every Tuesday is super. Oh, I like that. Uh, I like that a lot. On Taking yep. Pictures, where every Tuesday is super. <laughs> Copyright are, Bill Wadman on Taking people, Pictures Enterprises. People are, people are yawning right, right now like, as we speak. Mm. They're like, oh, God. Uh, Tuesday, March 1st, episode 201. Stratosphere. That's where we're going. Jeffrey and Bill, Sidoris and Wadman, uh, Cagney and Lacey. Cagney and Lacey. Oh, <laughs> if only. Uh, <laughs> that was a great show. I used to watch that show a lot. I mean, th- you know, it, there was a time, to- like those cop shows, those gritty ones like NYPD Blue and Hill Street Blues. They were great shows. Yeah. Cagney and Lacey even. They were great shows to watch. Yeah. You know, Hill Street Blues, they never say what city it is. Do they not? Weird, right? Huh. I wonder, Although is that on streaming somewhere? I'd like to, I'd like to rewatch that. You know, I watched uh, a little bit of the pilot once on recently, like in the past year. Does it not hold up? Somebody was talking. I watched the, a little bit of the pilot on YouTube or something. I found, you know, some video of it. And um, I guess, I mean, I guess it held up. I mean, it feels a little eighties, you know, and it was a pilot. So it wasn't like where they were really into their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, Still kind of finding their but, way. Yeah, but it, but it was it was really interesting how the tone was very different than modern TV shows, mm. uh, and that, I think that's the case for a lot of stuff. You know, right? Was that just, was that you know, Stephen J. Cannell Productions? Wasn't that? Wasn't, uh, didn't he do? No, that's a uh, or was it Bill Wolf? Because that, those were like no, the two big guys, right? Yeah, I th- actually, I, it's neither of those guys, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, oh, what's, it's Bocho. Oh, Stephen Stephen Bocho. Okay, sure. Bochco. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In fact, I think it may have been like his first big thing. Huh. Okay. You know, before L.A. Law, right. Doogie Hauser, M.D., and NYPD Blue. <laughs> I love me some Doogie Hauser. Um, <laughs> hey, can, can we... Can we... <sighs> Jump right in to can what? I, uh, what are we talking about? The, this, the Super Tuesday thing. I, I, I'm not going to... I just want to say something. Oh, boy. Here we go. What do you want to say? Uh, look, you, you obviously support who you want. Vote for who you want. That's that's you know part of the experiment, right? Right. But but I will say this: if the person who who has garnered your attention, if their currency is is hate and fear and divisiveness, yeah, you're looking in the wrong place. Uh, I would tend to agree with you. And, you know, I'm not going to bash people and say this person, that person. But uh, I, I will say that at the very least, the person that you support to lead the country should feel presidential, should should feel strong when necessary, diplomatic when necessary, not uh, a playground bully pushing those who don't agree with him or her around because he can or she can. 
I, I, I agree with you. The interesting thing is that you could take everything what you just said, depending on which side you're on, and apply it to the other side. And, I'm, and, and that's why I said it in the way that I said it, because I think there yeah. are positives and negatives on, on both sides. I think, I think in, in the dark recesses of their souls, there are good and bad in, in all of the candidates. But I, I, I will just say that if, if, if the person is good and bad yeah, it, in everyone sorry if the person that you are are looking at seriously to lead this country if their currency is hate if their currency is fear if their currency is belittling those who don't share their opinions these are not the qualities we should have in the leader of the free world these are not the qualities that are going to make america great again Okay. I'm down with that. And end rant. Okay. Well, uh, so hey, if, did you, if you <laughs> did well, go ahead. <laughs> if if you were a photojournalist covering one of these guys. Right. Did you see this? This is unacceptable. Uh, yeah, I saw it. Um so this guy uh, apparently somehow left the Christopher Morris, who's a, a photographer yeah. for Time, has covered many many events. Uh, apparently tried to leave an area right. that he was supposed to be. Secret Service grabbed him by the neck and body slammed him to the ground. Uh, he reacted by saying, you know, uh, we, we can't hear the audio, but it looks like what he's saying is like, you know, what are you doing? And tried to to grab the Secret Service agent back and and was uh, summarily uh, arrested and ejected from from the event. Yeah. And what what does the secret service say? They they argue that it's uh, security is security is security? Uh, probably. Uh yeah. there the thing is there are there are multiple uh videos that that kind of show both sides of it. So sure. one of the videos uh claims to 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 show Morris saying F you to the Secret Service agents. Uh, some say all he was doing was minding his own business. So... Uh, oh, everybody's got an angle, Everybody's right? got an angle. The, the point is, is a guy with a camera is probably not... Dangerous. Typically enough of a threat to choke and slam to the ground like you're, you know, Steve Austin or, you know... Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it is interesting how... The the whole idea, the whole concept of of security and 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 uh, and and in in our in our society has also bled into freedom of speech and freedom of press. You know, it's like you you can't be in this uh, embedded in this military unit because it's insecure for you to be able to see these things and talk about them. When it's like, well, maybe you just don't want me talking about them because you think that people will disagree with them. Or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, I think that it's I think that that's true. And I think that this is this is whether or not reaping what he sowed. Yeah. Whether or not he said something or tried to leave the pen. It it doesn't seem like the response. Well, you know what? The the Secret Service agent is just some guy, too. And so the guy leaves the pen. He said, please go back there, sir. And he says, I don't want to go back there. And then, you know what I mean? Whatever the, the thing is. Right. Um, And then he says F you or something. And then the guy takes him out because that's his job yeah um you know it's, it's unfortunate as much of as, as much as anything yeah you know? interesting to see how it develops and and i am not 
suggesting that this has anything to do with Trump. Uh, nice. You like that? Yeah. Uh, Google it if you're curious. John Oliver, Drumpf. Anyway, uh, I'm not suggesting that it was because it was uh, one of his rallies. I, I just think the response was was maybe a little excessive, uh, but we'll yeah. see how – I wasn't there. You weren't there. We'll see how it shakes out. Um, anyway, interesting. It is interesting. Uh, also this weekend were, were the Oscars, apparently. Yay, Leo DiCaprio. Good for Leo, man. I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen The Revenant, so I can't comment. I haven't either, but it's Leo. He's awesome. He deserved it. I dig him. Go Leo. Um maybe we should uh maybe we should move these up then. Um since oh, we're yeah, already okay, talking sure. about this. Um the the uh so Seliger did his thing yeah. where he like makes a little set and he, takes pictures. He's like of as as he's as part of the Oscars as Wolfgang Puck or the Governor's Ball. You know what's interesting? Uh, a lot less this year. I just went and looked up how many there were like in the sets of 19 or 2015 and 2014. Um, and there were like 40 pictures in those years and only 15 this year. Well, maybe he took more, but uh, Vanity they Fair published less? only wanted to yeah. pay him for 15 or something. Yeah, um, it's interesting. So my guess is that when people are walking out after they win or whatever it is, he gets in line and says, hey, you want to come over here and get your picture taken? And they say, sure, it's good free publicity. Um, that's my guess. I don't like the, the one of Chris Rock is a little unfortunate, the look on his face, but the rest are really nice. Uh, I mean, look, these are, these are people who get their picture taken for a living. My, my favorite, <laughs> yeah. John Hamm. That's because you're a ham. That's true. Uh, I also <laughs> like uh, uh, the, the Lady Gaga shot, though I am not a fan of Lady Gaga. If, if you were John Hamm, would you like be like Leo and just kind of like be with different women all the time? No. You wouldn't? Okay. No. Just being like the good looking. Is is, is that the guy. way he is? is? Is John like that? I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. I like to think of John Hamm the way he appeared on 30 Rock. Just this sort of goofy guy who yeah. happens to be really good looking, but is kind talk of unaware a, of how good looking he talk is. Talk about a guy who wasn't really on the radar until Mad Men really took off. Yeah. You know, he kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, got a good role. Good for him. But uh, yeah, they're beautiful. Um, as they always are, as Seliger stuff always is nice little set, cute people who like to get their picture taken. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's good. The, um, so can we talk about this? Uh, so, um, Lubeski, Emmanuel Lubeski won three cinematography awards in a row. Yes. Gravity, Birdman, and now Revenant. Right. Probably the, the, the best ever right like of, of it doesn't really happen all that often well he's 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 currently pretty up there yeah i mean yeah yeah, yeah. um the it's interesting those three movies feel very different to me which is actually what's kind of really nice about it right that shows that this guy's got serious range yeah sure yeah he's yeah. he's not doing uh, slight variations on yeah. on what has come before. He's he's doing pretty dramatic shifts in in exploring his craft, which I yeah, and, you know I think is terrific. And even Gravity is is almost entirely CG with integrated elements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how much of it is her or them in their suits zooming around or? It, zooming around a space station where a lot of the walls were made of green screens that were added in later and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, 
where apparently the, the word on the street is that Revenant was almost entirely shot with available light. Uh, it's interesting. And then we'll put some articles in the show notes uh, that the uh, he, apparently they, they would wait for like the, the one hour a day where the light was really good to shoot the Revenant. Right. Like basically sit around for most of the middle of the day and shoot a golden hour on either side, uh, which is what you'd have to do to get that kind of look all the time you know where it's like soft but the shadows aren't completely black and and the sun's low in the sky and you know that whole northern look um there it is interesting though that people all keep saying that it was oh available light available light available light but in an in an interview one of the technicolor people talked about how they were basically adding digital light and hand matting well frame i think by they, frames i think they stuff. pushed a lot of stuff around they're not relighting completely relighting a, a, a scene. I don't think that was the implication. I think they're well, extending. Yeah. Well, it's just like, Oh, we need more light on the left side of this guy's face. So we're going to add it, you mm-hmm. know, um, which, which is, is fine. But you know, there was an article and I couldn't find it to put in here back in the day, apparently back in the 1930 or fifties to sixties, when there were both color films and black and white films, there were actually two separate Oscars one for black and white cinematography and one for color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they dropped the color one eventually. Or I mean, dropped Wait, the black what? and white one eventually. <laughs> they merged the two. Right. <clears throat> I think it was like in the mid 60s. You know, I and, was blown away by the nominees this year, to be honest with you. Blown away by what? The cinematography ones? Yeah. I mean, just, you know, I haven't seen all of the films, <clears throat> but from what I ha- I've, I've, I've at least seen trailers and clips from every one of them. And Lubeski was up against... Some really amazing cinema. I mean, Deacons, come on. Right, right, you know, right, right, right. John Seale. Yeah. Uh, these guys are, you're splitting hairs to say which one's the best, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have also personally put the um, uh, Kaminsky for Bridge of Spies, mm, which was mm-hmm, also gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, these people are, people are making more beautiful movies than have ever been made. And I, a lot of it has to do with the technology and like they're, they have the ability to make things that look even more lush. Right. Or control the colors and the lighting and all this kind of stuff. Uh, But what I was getting at before is that some people are arguing that they should split the cinematography into one that is more traditional and one that involves a whole lot of digital stuff in post as, as if they are different crafts. What do you think of that? I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. I just thought it was, it was like, it's like, oh, that's interesting. And, and, and a number of people have said basically what you said, which is just like, well, these are all people working within the realm. Even if you're doing it digitally, you still need to know where the camera is and all the rest right, of it. Right, right. Which, yeah. you, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point uh, at the top of this about uh, Lubeski, his work being so very different. I mean, even going back to, to like Itu Mama Tambien – they're they are very different if you yeah. if you look at somebody like uh kaminsky i i feel like within his body of work there's more similarity to the looks of what he does yeah okay yeah i can see that like he has much more his point of view mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. which you know i guess it's, that's still incredible and i'm i'm not trying to take yeah, away anything yeah. because he is incredible uh I, I, the way that Minority Report looked, for example, yeah. I thought that yep. was fantastic. Well, that's the bleach bypass stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Private Ryan, fantastic. Yep. You know, also bleach bypass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's just interesting to see. I, I think I think 
Lubeski's win is as much a comment on current sort of cinematic aesthetic as it is his ability on this particular film. Yeah. Yep. I can, I can totally, uh, yeah, I can totally see that. Mm -hmm. It's also, I mean, but, but that's always the case, right? Sure. Um, you're always at the whims of like where the, 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 the tide is currently. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, the guy certainly deserves it. I mean, it looks beautiful and everyone says that it's gorgeous. Um, I just, could you imagine being out in the tundra trying to shoot with available light? Nope. You know, this is, this is where modern cameras that have 14 or 15 stops of dynamic range. So as long as you're not blown out the highlights, you pretty much have information all the way down into the shadows. Mm -hmm. So that in post, if you're shooting raw or whatever the hell they're shooting on these giant RE flex, you know, these RE Alexa HDs or whatever the hell they are. Right. Um, you know, that, that you know that like, as long as I don't, blow it out at the top i can pretty much do anything i want to this this is silly putty in post right you know? right and 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 that's got to be so freeing for them to be able to like i need to shoot what i need to shoot i need to get it i need to get it in the can and then we can work with it later to make it look exactly the way we want it to look as opposed to having to make it look right that way right. on set you know did, did you ever happen to watch uh any of the extras for oh brother where art thou um, I don't know. That was years ago. I'll have to send you. I, I saw a lot of the post-production stuff. Yeah, that's that what, what I mean. Where the, the color grading. Yeah. Because yeah, it had yeah, such that was a great one of the look. First, that was one of the first really serious uh, digital intermediates, mm -hmm, as they call mm -hmm. them. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, that whole movie is colored in such a way. It's funny, though, when you're watching it, you don't. Have you noticed, especially in films as opposed to stills? I notice odd color grading far more in stills than I do in a movie. When I'm watching a movie, I go, oh, it's just the movie. And it kind of has this gold hue to it. Sure. I, I just, I just perceive that as, oh, it's warmth or, you know, that's right. the sun right. in the right. south or whatever it is. I don't look at it and go, wow, that's really yellow. Yeah. Where I, I think that's fair. If it was a fair. picture, I was, I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's the motion of the people that like make it so that you don't notice it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, Something I've just, I, it, it, even like really severe color grading, it doesn't, it doesn't show up. It, you can get away with a lot more in motion than you can in a still, um, without it looking silly or like, oh wow, his skin is really green here. Well, in the movie, it doesn't really matter because it's in a larger sense. It's, it's color is just one element, and because it has the motion, the color gets downgraded. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. It's interesting, um, but totally interesting. And and we'll put some links in the show notes. There's this uh. Here's one. Yeah, I've got color grading the film, oh brother. All right, I will put that in the show notes. Uh, I'll send it so to cool. you. So cool. Yeah. So cool. Okay, so yeah, it was the first full-length film to ever be color graded 100% digitally. See, there you go. See, I yeah. know something. Yeah, well, good. <laughs> we've, we've, it's only taken 201 episodes to find it. It is, you know what, it, it is interesting though that, 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 so they were shooting film. They turned it into a digital file to color grade it because they have much more control in digital than they did back in the day. There's the term color timing, right? right? That's what people right, used to right. call it. And it had to do with the amount of time that the film was sitting in different tanks of chemicals to change the color of the film. That's where color timing comes from. Right. That's the term. And so they would do the color timing in quotes and then print that back onto film to project it because that was still back in the day before digital projection was a major thing. And so there was, that's the term digital intermediate. So it was film and then it was digital and then it was film again. Um, 
And now we're digital, digital, digital for the ninety nine percent of the movies, right? Um, but we still use these terms like color timing or digital intermediate. It's just like, well, there is no digital intermediary. Intermediary. It's right, like right. it's all digital. It's just the next step in the process. Uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, very, very cool. Uh, I will, I will put a link in the show notes. That's very cool. Oh man, that's neat. Um, all right, where do you want to go from here? You know, I wonder if. Uh... Maybe this this next thing, this self publishing thing, that might be bigger. Uh, maybe we can move that. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it next week. Yeah. So we're going to talk about self publishing. Yeah, okay. Uh, and and some of the some of the uh, pitfalls, and pitfalls and rabbit holes. You can you can go there into. There are pitfalls and rabbit holes. There are pitfalls and rabbit holes. Sometimes I feel like the world and life is nothing but pitfalls and rabbit holes. <laughs> Did you ever play Pitfall <laughs> Activision? Sure, I did. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. When you played Pitfall, did you go to the right or to the left? You know, sometimes you had to go both ways because you had to go to the left to get to the ladder to go down into the catacombs. Uh, from, yeah, if yeah, memory yeah. serves. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it was uh, but it's harder going that way uh, because then you then you uh, have to jump the alligators. You have to jump on their mouths and then on right. run over to their heads right. without going off the go, side. Go back and look at that now, or go back and look at you know what I hear? Go go look at adventure when you get a chance. Oh, it's so bad with the the dragons that look like ducks. Yeah, sure, and now you know and think about that. Compare that to the new Tomb Raider. Right, twenty five years later. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. It's yeah, it's cinematic. Yeah. Or go baby. go watch the trailer for the Division, which is wild. Is that a new game? Yeah, a new Tom Clancy game. I Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that one's like super beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's the new thing. That Tom Clancy uh, family is still making some serious money, aren't they? They're doing okay. Good for them. Yeah. I guess. I like those Tom Clancy books, like the original ones, like mm-hmm. the old school mm-hmm. Jack Ryan ones. It's classic. I was thinking about there's a scene in one of them where some bad guy swaps out bullets for blanks in a guy's gun. But the guy who picks it up knows that they're swapped out because he can feel the weight is different. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. That old chestnut? That old chestnut. And it's like, how much of a difference is there between a blank and, you know what I mean? Like the, those nine slugs or whatever the hell is in the is in the cartridge or in the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Chamber, clip. Clip. Thank yeah. you. Hey. You know, uh, there's a little nine pieces of lead. Can we, can we tease something for next week? Sure. This what do you want to tease? Kind of a little audible. You know, you know these little... Uh, these little free libraries. Have you ever seen these? They have these in New York. Uh, like Brooklyn. on the street. Yeah. Little, yeah, the yeah, little yeah. things. Um, I know of them. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they put one in at the end of the street here, uh, okay. just within the last couple of weeks. And I was, I was out for a walk yesterday and uh, I walked by it and they had uh, a, a brand new, like this thing hasn't even been cracked. I'm holding it right now. Uh, brand new 50th anniversary edition of Atlas Shrugged. Ah, Okay. And I, I don't think I've ever read Atlas Shrugged. I remember reading The Fountainhead and Anthem. Yep. And The Fountainhead, one of my favorite books in in high school. I loved that book. I like The Fountainhead. I'm I'm with you on that one. I have not read Atlas Shrugged. I have not read Atlas Shrugged. And so this thing, I, I mean, here, that's it on my desk. This thing, even though it's a trade paperback with very tiny print, a thousand seventy eight pages. Yeah, it's a big book. So, so you know, I've got that. I've got the aperture thing. I've got uh, uh, Hamilton. So I'm, I'm maybe be busy for a while. But there's yeah. a line in this book, the very first thing uh, in the introduction, and I wanted to throw this out to you and see what you thought of it, and, and see if maybe it's worth 
uh, unpacking conversation a bit okay. next next week. Um, now this this pertains to writing, but I think we could make the connection to uh, you know art, photography, music, etc. Uh, Ayn Rand held that art is quote a recreation of reality according to an artist's metaphysical values and judgments end quote by its nature therefore a novel like a statue or a symphony or photography or you know whatever uh, does not require or tolerate commentary i'm sorry does not require or tolerate an explanatory preface it is a self-contained universe aloof from commentary beckoning the reader to enter perceive and respond so this idea that that it doesn't need any sort of explanation that it that instead it needs an audience art needs an audience yeah and and the reaction that you have to it is is better left a mystery within your one within oneself yeah i think i think so i mean i and and we've seen recent examples of this with with Bowie before he died refusing to to talk about the imagery and the allegory in the video for black star instead right. leaving it to the viewer. And we see this time and time again, where, you know, even, even talking to Gregory Crudson, you know, he, he's very reluctant to tell you what they mean to him. He wants you to glean some sort of meaning from spending time with the work. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that next time. Sure. I, I will put a link in the show notes. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Ayn Rand. I feel like a lot of people who use Ayn Rand for political purposes and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I feel like a Hashtag lot of, Ayn GOP. Rand, yeah, uh, I feel like a lot of times Ayn Rand's writings were even, this is just my personal opinion, were misunderstood not only by many of the people who wrote them or read them, but are are arguably misinterpreted by Ayn Rand herself like that that there are alternate alternative interpretations of her own work which is actually a weird meta conversation yeah based upon what you're just saying I, uh, I it's like how, to... how I read how I read Fountainhead is very different than how you know super uh uh sort of right-wing people read Fountainhead yeah I, you know I, I mean? remember not reading it as philosophy or or a larger ideology I just enjoyed the story yeah, I, enjoyed I enjoyed the, the way story it was written. And Howard Rourke is is a great character yep. without having to be the poster child for you know right. whatever political that, that, motivation. That conflict between that triangle of yeah. of, of Rourke, yeah. Keating, and Tui, yeah. that was fascinating to watch that unfold throughout I, the book. In some ways, I I always read Fountainhead as competence porn rather than as philosophy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Howard Rourke is badass and he's really good and he doesn't take any crap from anybody. But the world hated him for it. Well, right? but Keating, of the world Keating needed him. him. Keating, Keating right. needed him to be the genius that he was so he could ride his coattails. Exactly. Right, right, right. And but I'm sure. But but there was also an angle in in Rand's writing that that assumed that the world hated him. But I don't think that the world would really hate a guy like that. Maybe people would look up to him and see mm -hmm. him as. A hero of just a guy who's really good at something. Well, which is, I, why is that a bad thing? You know, you could argue that um, that that was the trajectory of Frank Lloyd Wright's career. Yeah, although I don't think Frank Lloyd Wright was nearly as uh, um, Frank Lloyd Wright's career was far more gray and political than Howard Rourke. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, based upon the stuff that I've read. Sure, um, sure, sure, sure. So, so you know, that's a whole larger question of, and you also have to take it in the time in which it was written. Yeah. 
and the geopolitical atmosphere of the time. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there. But yeah, let's talk about it next week. Okay. Sorry. So, uh, big, big, big Ayn Rand discussion. We're all Apparently. geeking out over Ayn Rand now. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah mm. listeners are like jesus really they're like great now okay. i gotta read fountainhead and atlas shrugged in the next right. week Man, like, hey you've got a week come on yeah yeah you know you don't have to sleep <laughs> um all right uh where uh, were we, we mysterious yeah we how did we get we were talking the other day offline um about a lot of these uh a lot of the uh um online tutorial kind of things uh and people who who teach uh uh different technology techno- tech- techniques and stuff for 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 photography people who go and give talks and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and arguing whether uh people people make this stuff out to be more mysterious than it is for not necessarily personal gain, but just sort of like trying, trying to keep the magic alive that, Oh, this is really difficult. And that's why you need to listen to me and come see me and buy my books and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But I wonder, versus just uh, a Google search or a YouTube search. Yeah. To look up how, of an umbrella works. Um, and, or, or just to get an umbrella and mess with it until you kind of figure out the same stuff that they're going to take an hour to show you. Well, you know, listen to them for 15 minutes and then just go play for the other 45. I, I uh, think one of the one of the, the, the services or platforms that's kind of I don't want to say guilty of it, but yes, guilty of it is Creative Live. You know, I, I, I feel like they're doing they, the same thing over and over again. Right. Well, I feel like they could take a lot of the things that that take eight hours and and boil that down to 45 minutes and get you in and out with the same knowledge. I feel like they dance around quite a bit before they actually get to the meat of what the talk or the lecture or the, the workshop is supposed to be about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yes. And the ones that I've watched, I can generally, it, it, it ends up feeling like I'm watching a telethon, you know? Yes. And, and you know, it's like, just, <laughs> just feel like a telethon. Just get to Tony Orlando already. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. <laughs> There's also the question of, of whether or not the people who are talking are actually giving you good information. Sure. You know, you're you're assuming that they are experts on what they're talking about. Well, um, and, and I, again, to go back to, to Creative Live, you'll get such differing opinions on this is the way to do X. And then somebody yeah, else yeah, will yeah, go, yeah. No, 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 this is the way to do X. And you, yeah, you you're know, left going, I, well, wait a minute. I, I watched a, I watched a B&H video uh, of Peter Hurley from 2011, I mm-hmm, think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day I had it on. The Shebang. Background. Is that what he says? Yeah. Okay, I missed that. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about how he shoots his medium format camera at like F6 or something like that, somewhere around there. And he's just like, you know, if you wanted to get a similar like short depth of field on 35, you'd have to shoot at like 1.2. And I'm like, mm, no. It's the, the, the is it, depth wait. of field is not that different between like medium format. Like maybe you'd have to shoot it at 2.2 or 2.8. You know what I mean? Like he's acting as if like, stop down to f6.5 or f8 on medium format is the equivalent of 1.2 on 35 it's like no that's that's you're making that up like mm. you you obviously either have never shot 35 or haven't done it recently or hmm. i've never are seen just that. making me yeah and it, i mean it was just like it was sort of an offhand comment during his conversation and i'm just sitting there i go no that's wrong you know whoever's listening to this is that's wrong mm-hmm you know, but people are sitting there going, oh, yeah, OK, now I have to buy a 1.2 lens because Peter Hurley, you know. Right. Um, Which and, is still and, cheaper than going F6 on medium format. Well, that's true. 
Um, but and 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 you know, and and he'll sit there and he'll talk about how he's got his like little strip lights, and you know, he's got his four lights that are basically boxed all the way around the camera like a ring light. You've got you made you've got it out flows. for Peter Hurley, don't you? you, don't, you no, 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 no. I, I don't at all. I think his look is great. Is this um, a cage? Should we do a cage match or a? <laughs> there's or no cage match. A corner I, match. I, I think his pictures are great. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking away from it. But like, all I'm saying is that like, there are people who say, oh, you know. Peter Hurley's crazy light setup is like his crazy light setup is three or four soft boxes. Okay. You know, essentially, you right, know, right, right, it's like, this right. is okay. not that crazy. And if I, I could show you a diagram and then three minutes later, you could go do it yourself. This is not rocket science. You know, it's what? not something that requires eight hours or three days of, 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 uh, of workshops to do, right. you know, what do you um, think is happening in, in, so can I just say one last thing? Yeah, yeah, please. I mean, I feel like there were there are workshops that take multiple days, like the ones Jay Maisel did, right? Mm-hmm. Or does. I don't even know if he does them anymore. Um, where you go and you pay $5,000 and you're with him for a week. Right. And you're walking around and you're ripping it apart. And that's that feels more like a, a, a class about life than it is right. particular right. technique or something like that. And I can almost understand a, a time requirement for that. Yeah. Because I, I remember here, we're stewing. Yeah. I remember talking to Valda Bailey about that a terrific landscape photographer from the UK. And she's gone a couple times to to his week long things yeah. and and just raved about how much information and how dense it was with knowledge and experience. And yeah. and, you know, that it had to be to your point, it had to be a week long to fit in because you're with him for hours and hours a day. Yeah. And because it's not a 15 minutes of stock stuff that Jay is saying, it's an overall sort of let's shoot a little bit and 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 talk about where this comes together, as opposed to having set rules of like never ask anybody to smile mm-hmm. and always do this. It's right. like I feel like when anybody ever anytime anybody ever says never or always, don't listen to that. <laughs> right. Because there's no such thing as never or always. You know, I think that those are those. You know, if you if if those are your rules, then your rules are probably too tight. Or so, so would you say that never and always are absolutely incorrect? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you see, what I'm, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, like, I feel yeah. like if if if, the, if that's your case, well, that's fine. If what you want to do is completely mimic somebody else's mojo, right? Like, I I rarely ask people to smile, but there are times. When I'm just like, oh, give me, oh, where'd that smirk go? Like, right, you know what right. I mean? They're, they're, that stuff will happen. But I'm not like cheese, you know, right. <laughs> formage. Right. Um, you know, I, I wonder what's go. I mean, we're seeing from a business standpoint, we're seeing a drop in the, the business side of tutorials. I mean, you, we saw that Kelby laid off a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, numbers are down in a lot of areas of education. Um, yeah. E-book Do you think sales that's because down, of things like our sponsor, Linda, where it's like, oh, for 25 bucks, you can get unlimited amounts of this stuff? I don't know. I would love to even see Linda's numbers year over year. Yeah. Who bought them? Uh, in, uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Right. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, right. I'm curious to see overall where where is money being spent? Is it being spent yeah. on books? Is it being spent on uh, online or, or I wouldn't think disc-based training is very big yeah. anymore. Well, I think, I think book sales are probably going down. I think, uh, but with so many new photographers coming in, where are they learning or well, are they or, simply or, not learning the fundamentals anymore? Or, or maybe that whole thing is saturated or they're learning it from YouTube, you mm-hmm. know? 
How, how much, how much can you get out of, uh, what's the really good Photoshop thing? Flern? Flern you know is uh, Aaron Nace. Yep. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know. I think he does a, gr- there's a guy who does a great job, I think, in doing sure. a tutorial where he's like, look, you want to do this. We're going to talk about it for 10 minutes, how you do it. Not sure. like we're going to spend six hours showing you how to mask. Cause you're just like, no, this is the way I would mask sure. this. I think and Carl is doing a great job. I mean, yep. Carl is a great job too. Carl's giving away a ton of content and I've talked to him about, about this very subject and they, well, they spend what is his angle. Like, is, is, does he think that giving it away will just garner like brand loyalty? Uh, there's you know that I mean? uh and they it takes time honestly you know what yeah I mean? yeah they give away a ton of content uh if you're interested go carltaylor.co.uk yeah. they give away or search for carl taylor on youtube they give away a ton of content but he just really uh came to this realization late last year early this year that that physical media is nowhere to be found in the future so they've they've dumped all their dvd and gone to streaming yeah. but but even that you would have to, right? In, sure. In the modern world. Yeah. Yeah. Even even that, the numbers are kind of all over the place. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that there's also an oversaturation of all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. How many time? How many people do we need to tell us how Aperture works? Right. You know is is there is is there a Khan Academy of photography? Mm-hmm. Is there the one place that you can go that's sort of open source and here's what you need to know? I this, I think this will get you up to speed. I think it's even bigger. I, I I would be I would not be surprised in the least if more and more new photographers are simply not learning the fundamentals. They're 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 not going back and learning the sort of building blocks of composition and and what colors mean and color theory. And I I, I would be very you sound surprised. a little like an old man there. Do you I? really don't think that they're learning those things. I, think I don't. I don't think, think they're, they're learning just, them formally. I think they're they're taking bits and pieces. Okay, of, of, but, but but that's the way things are learned nowadays, isn't it? In small chunks, maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. I'm yeah, just and it's, that, I'm not trying to be you know get off my lawn. I'm just saying that that I I I feel like more people are learning what they need per project rather than an overarching background of photography. Yeah, but that also, I think that that is a different way to learn. I think that, I mean, that's how I used to learn coding and flash stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, shoot, I got to connect these two lines using ActionScript. Shoot, how do I, oh, I guess I need to use trig. All right, let me figure out how to do a cosine in Right in flash. Well, and I'm, and I'm not assigning a value judgment on it. I'm just yeah. saying I think this is this is one of the reasons that that these types of programs are are losing steam because I don't need a 12 week course. I need to learn how to put hair on text, or I need to you know. Sure. Yeah. 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 And I think yeah. that's one of the reasons that somebody like Flurn, like like a service like Flurn, is so successful because they've got these little sort of bite size yeah. chunks of oh, you want to do a fashion shoot with lava and beauty dishes? Oh, well, we yeah. have that. So go yeah. learn that. Well, you know what's interesting. Just using Flurn as an example, he also doesn't talk down to the audience. A lot of them, I feel like there's like a certain level of condescension just in the tone of hmm. of, of shows like of of clips like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't go so slow as to be boring. You know, mm-hmm. he's just sort of like, all right, here's what I'm doing. Keep up. And if you want, if you can't keep up, back up. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm not going to sit here and go over it 63 times. Right. Um, and I always, I always like that about that guy. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh it's a different 
it's a different way of looking at things. Right. And it's, a, it, but at the same time, looking at the number of great photographers out there on Instagram or on their sites or on 500 pixels, it's not like there's any lack of good composition or color theory. No. And I, and I'm not suggesting that at all. The, yeah. the, I, I think the amount of inspiring photography is only getting better. I'm just wondering, are they picking it up from each other? Are people learning in bite-sized chunks? I'd love to see some metrics on, on where and how. Well, I mean, how, how do you, how do you charge for something that people can get for free? Well, I mean, I mean that, I mean, that's like the larger, that's one of the main topics of this show overall. That's what Twitter and Google and you know, how many other people are are trying to figure out. But even with learning, I think that that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, that it's, yeah, great. I can, yeah, sure. I can go on Flurn or any one of these other things or buy a Kelby DVD or, or, you know, class or go on creative live, or there are some people who are doing decent things on YouTube. You know what I mean? That for, for what you want to learn. Well, and Uh, I I think it's why services like, like Linda or Skillshare um, are terrific because they, instead of being this sort of a la carte, you know, or, or, uh, um, episode uh, or volume based model they're this one-stop shop you pay us monthly or annually and learn what you want to learn you know i'd I'd really want to know from our listeners if you guys can write in i'd like to see what you think whether you think that the people who are teaching this stuff are trying to make it more mysterious than it is or if or if or if that's just our view you know what i mean like i feel like you and i agree with that but I, I don't know about I don't do. know about the mystery. I think I think a lot of it just gets they drag it out. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, don't but, don't. It, but isn't it, isn't by dragging it out there making it seem like there's more to learn there than there is? Maybe. You know, maybe I don't know. You know, um, it's you want to dodge you know and burn. Interesting. Go dodge I, and burn. I would love to. Um, I would love to, 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 uh, man, why am I suddenly completely farting on what I was going to say? It's the caffeine, man. You know what? It might be the caffeine, actually. <laughs> slow it down, Bill. Let's all just take a minute. Slow uh, Bill down. You're in a safe um, place, oh, Bill. That's what it is. Um, I, I've actually been thinking lately, like I rarely, if ever, use a meter for flash photography. I'll, I'll, I'll take pictures and go, okay, that needs to come down a little bit. That needs to go up a little bit. Um, but recently I've been thinking, you know what, maybe I should try doing it by the numbers just to see how that comes out and if it's more consistent and faster for, say, shooting on site with somebody. Why don't you do uh, like an A-B? Do, a, do two different shoots, one your normal way and yeah. one with a meter. One by the numbers, yeah. Yeah, and see yeah. what that looks like. Right. But see, I mean, it's just an example of like, you know what? There are there are advantages to doing it the old way. Who was telling us, was it was it Bailward or somebody else was saying that um, they went to see, uh, uh, who's the Nikon guy? The the Joe McNally? Mc, McNally. Yeah. Um, that, that, that he was basically doing it the way that I tend to do it, which is take some pictures. Oh, that's too bright or that's too hot. I, I've been to one of his workshops and that's the way he did oh, it. That's, that's exactly. It was you yeah. saying it. We were talking about it and, and yeah. Joe, Joe is supremely talented and, yeah, great. and has uh, a, 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 an incredible wealth of knowledge. But at, at the end of the day, he seems to go by feel. Which it, and so, somebody wrote in uh, to the podcast. Somebody wrote it, sent us an email saying they they were working with some 
magazine photographer uh, a few months ago and that that guy did the same exact thing as that we're talking about. Basically just kept messing with lights until the guy showed up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and the, the guy who wrote in his assistant was just like, I was surprised that a guy at that level was basically doing what I do, which mm-hmm. is not having any idea what he was doing until he was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's still the way things go. And I, I, I think that that's, I think that that's something that, that is, is both, some of the people who are teaching make it seem as if there's more to it than that, but really it's just a lot of experimentation plus experience. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, you get a happy accident at the 11th hour and it yeah, comes it together and, and you know, you get magic. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes you fiddle around with it and you go, Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's a, uh, one of my drabbles I did years ago is this girl on a fire escape and, mm-hmm. um, I was shooting her actually on the fire escape with her and I wanted to set up an edge light. So I went around the other side and set up a light going out a window that was sort of to the side of the fire escape. And as I was setting up the light, I took a couple test shots just to see if the light was working and everything. And it looked so much better than that point. I was like, oh man, I need to take the picture from here, not from where I've been taking it for 90% oh, and you, of the time. And you were just shooting to test the light. I yeah. just shot to test the light. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is way better. I'm going to go do it from over here. But, but, and I wouldn't have thought of that. And if I was so rigid as to say, no, this is my shooting position because this is how I concepted it initially. Well, then you're going to miss that thing over on the side that you didn't think about, which is a way better shot. Um, so the, yeah, that happens all the time. And you have to be fluid enough to be able to do that. Um, but uh, but but a lot of it really is just experience and experimentation, mm-hmm. you know? um, and that's that's okay. You know that's that 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 there is no right answer is actually a good answer. Sure, sure, yeah, I can um, see that. But yeah, what's punching your weight? What do you want to talk about there? Um, you know we're at what are we? Where are we at? We're at uh, uh, forty minutes. Hmm. I mean, I, I it's I was thinking about knowing knowing my own limits and and i got an email the other day asking um why i don't shoot more paint more and put more out okay and i hadn't thought about that in a long time and i don't really have a concrete answer other than what i'm what i'm putting out whether it's it's photography and and 99% of that stuff ends up on instagram uh or or uh painting which i don't paint nearly as much as i should or would if i could i i know what i'm able to get done i know so it's uh, a time thing for you part of it's time part of it is is still letting go of the idea of of good and good enough and i think i'm getting i think i'm getting better at it um i was running the other day and i got this idea for a new painting which i've started okay. and uh, i came home and and i was like shit i got to i got to write this down i've got to so i wrote down some notes and i scribbled out uh, uh, a little Sketch. sort of very, yeah, very crude diagram of what this thing will be. Uh, and it's another, you know, 
happy <laughs> propaganda piece with sure. children playing and missiles and you know so it's it's another <laughs> happy piece uh, <laughs> the inside of jeffrey's brain right but you know what i realized is that i keep coming back to this type of imagery i keep thinking that maybe i should stay or stray from it but i keep coming back to these sort of propaganda-esque images and i have i have multiple sketches of of things that i've yet to create for whatever reason thinking that maybe i shouldn't um wait, that i wait, should you have the sketches and you feel like you shouldn't actually finish them yeah like they they like i should i should do something other than than these i should do more so, abstracts or more right. so you something don't, so you have the ideas but they are too much like the stuff you've been doing which is in your mind like too depressing or something so why take i don't, the time I don't to think actually finish them I don't think it's depressing by any means. Okay. Um, I, I I quite enjoy the work. I sure. I think it's it's really good, and I I enjoy the process of making it. And I I think but they're intense. Yeah, they are. They're yeah. and, and they are they are uh, they are political in nature. Sure. They are controversial in in nature. Some of them. Um, but I really enjoy that type of imagery. I really enjoy. Um, the things that I've done in the past. And I think I've sort of downplayed them, but this idea of, of punching my weight, which is what I, what I wrote in, uh, in the notes comes yeah. from, uh, uh, a Nick Hornby book and film high fidelity. Sure. Uh, where, where, uh, Cusack is, is talking about this, this particular girl. And he says, you know, you, you got to punch your weight. And knowing your limitations and knowing what you're good at. And I, it, I've been thinking about this for months now. Um, and I think I want to get back to making this type of, of work and because I enjoy it and letting go of, of what anybody else is going to think of it. Because yeah, ultimately I have to I, – I, I, I put so much time and effort into it that it has to be for me. And there is an argument to be made that – by doing it, you might actually push through to something else and you just Absolutely. need to sort of get through. It's sort of uh, what I was talking about. Was it a week or two ago where it's like, I know the stuff that I may be doing now isn't what I want to do next, but I haven't figured out what I want to do next yet. Right. Um, hmm. Here's here's my question with the whole punching your weight thing. Mm -hmm. How do you know what your weight is? And if it's all in your own perception, how do you know you're not either aggrandizing yourself or putting your, or deprecating yourself? Well, I, I know me, so I'm always on the side of deprecating myself. Right. So, so how do you, why trust, why trust what you think is your weight anyway? Well, that's a good question. That's a very good question. And, and I think uh, I'm still working through an answer to that. But what I do know is, you know, a, a lot of these things are hanging in the house. A lot of my pieces are hanging up. And I walked around over the weekend and I really did some thinking about it and I really did some looking at, at what they are and, and why I stopped making them. And I couldn't come up with a very valid reason that, that wasn't rooted in, in to the point you just made earlier, my sort of uh, starting point of self-deprecation. Right. So I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, look, it doesn't seem to hurt Shepard Ferry to do political work. It doesn't seem to hurt, you know, Rothko to stay in his wheelhouse, pushing little bits here and there. 
and I I think what I what I what I got stuck thinking was that it had to be some cathartic change that any that that to do to do something new had to be so different or or it wasn't new. Yeah. It in my own experience the times that I've ended up doing something new I wasn't looking to do something new. And that that that's another part of it. That's a, that is a great uh, 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 observation that that if I'm if I'm trying to think of something new, is it going to be all that new, or is it yeah. just going to be this force? Right. You, you know? You're you're better off doing what it is that you want to do today, and if that leads somewhere new, right, that's the new place to go, as opposed to sitting down and saying I'm going to do something new. Yeah. No. It doesn't and, and work that way. You're exactly right. And and to your point, I almost fell off the treadmill when I got this idea because I was like, shit, do I do I get out and write it down or do I do I just so I just started, you know, saying these sort of mantras over and over again. So I would so I would remember what the thing was. And luckily, I was almost done with with I can see you running going Kali Ma. (laughs) Right, 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 right. right. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. The the treadmills both sides of me are now clear of any other people. Uh everybody's got their faces pressed against the glass. And what's he going to do? No. So I just wanted to remember this thing. So I came home and wrote it down in, in, in uh, my journal. And, and I think it's a strong piece. And on the back of that, I finally figured out the third piece of, of this triptych. That's I've had this panel for probably, I don't know, 11, almost a year, this panel, it's the third piece in the redacted series that hasn't been finished because I couldn't figure out how to finish. I couldn't get to the place of how I wanted to finish it. And right. on the back of this new piece, there was this aha moment of that's how that's how you finish it to tie all three of these together. Do you do you also feel like you couldn't start something new until you finished the thing you started a year ago? I do get stuck in that. As I do get stuck in that just, sometimes. It's it's the same thing with reading, right? Do you read uh, a book and if you're not done with that book you don't move on to the next one as opposed no, I tend, to somebody who I reads tend to multiple read, books at once i tend to read multiple books at once yeah okay um and i do work on multiple things at once simply because my particular process is so time consuming and there are so many steps in between where you're just waiting for things to dry or waiting for things to set so you can add the next step so you can move on to the next piece sure. of the puzzle it's sort um, of built-in pauses yeah, so I have to work on multiple things because if I if I if I went sequentially, you know, some of these things take a month or more to to get through them and I would lose interest in the whole thing. Sure. Which which is a danger anyway. So I I I guess it's it's uh, the end the end result is is accepting that what I'm doing is good for me and not worrying about whether it's good for someone else. Right. It will find an audience, whatever. And, and I can say this with some degree of reassurance that whatever you're doing creatively, yeah, somebody out there is a member of your tribe. Somebody out there is a member of your audience. The difficult or the challenging part is finding your way to that audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if what you're looking for is to. The, the the audience thing is a weird thing in much the same way that you like to say that the, the, the audience decides whether it's art. Um, well, I, I believe that the audience gives it meaning. I believe that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that, that the audience, but do you believe that, that searching for an audience is a thing or is it all about like 
whether people see great if people see it, but if they don't see it, it still is a thing that you that you've completed. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I can I can still be proud of it. Yeah, but you know it, this goes back to you know many many conversations that I had with Bill Moore about the, putting it out into the world is sort of the final. That's the final step of a piece of art. Sure, is is it, it does it does nothing left in your studio or it does nothing left on your computer. You know, no. print it, get but, it out there. Right, 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 right. I'm, 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 I, I mean, share it. But whether a thousand people see it or ten thousand people see it, it doesn't make your work any more or less satisfying to you necessarily. Not the making of it, certainly. Yeah. Is there but, something more than the making of it? Uh, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I have been, I have been, uh surprised and and affected and humbled and and all of these things about comments that that have come up about either photographs or or paintings or uh seeing things that i didn't see getting getting a meaning from a piece that i didn't intend yep and Mm. that's where i think the shared the sort of it's it's a larger conversation it's a shared conversation between between not only the artist and the audience, but the work and the audience and the artist and the work. So there are lots of different conversations. And I, to, 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 to my own sort of succumbing to my own fear have only been willing to engage in one of those, you know, or, or a few of them. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's also a time element there, you know, yeah, but time, time, you could argue that time's the only thing you've got. Well, that's that's exactly what I'm saying is that, like, you know, at a certain point you can make this stuff and then you can discuss it and you can have these conversations about it. But is your time better spent doing that or moving on to the next piece? Yeah, I have I have a series that I've been thinking about doing and and just leaving them and seeing what happens, who finds them, if I can find them ever again. Yeah. Leaving them out in the world and then, you know, giving it some time and doing like a Google image search and seeing if it shows up somewhere, seeing if they show up somewhere else. Yeah. It's weird sometimes because I have a Google search for my name, you know, like a Mm -hmm. Google whatever. And so every day or whatever, I get a couple emails from random things that are mine that are posted different places. And sometimes it's really funny. It's like, how the hell did that end up over there? You know, like I'll have to get your help on it. I've never set one up. So I, I, some guy's I, Tumblr, you know what I mean? It's some random picture of mine. I'm like, really? What? How did, you know? Right. What Google search did he do that he found that, that he decided to tumble it and add it to some, you know, just very right. odd. Right. It's an odd world we live in. Um you done with that for now or you want to? Yeah, I think it's a work in progress. Yeah, well, it's let's a work in we'll progress. roll back on that because I think it does have something to do with the Ayn Rand conversation. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And that's, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, we should we should preface this by saying we could have an entire four-year conversation about Ayn Rand. So we're going to have to keep right. it to 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. There there are books longer than the Ayn Rand books discussing the Ayn Rand books. So. Right. Uh, uh, do, do you want to do this first or you want to do the Ger- the Gershwin thing first? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we could uh, talk about our sponsor today. What is it? A bushel. A bushel. It's well, just bushel. Is it a basket? <laughs> is it a bushel basket of fun? No. It, it, see, Jeffrey, for some people, IT is a task and not a career. They don't want to be an IT person. They just need to get IT stuff done. I don't want to be an IT person, but I do want to be the it person. Uh, you want to be the it man. Right. <laughs> Is is that is that a line from a TV show? 
I'm I don't not know. IT. Is it? I'm the it man. Before oh, there was, was the IT crowd. The IT crowd, you, sure. Yeah. Have was, you tried turning it off and on again? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Bushel is show. a simple to use cloud-based tool that anyone can leverage to manage Apple devices in the workplace, which is actually really cool. Uh, maybe I get it. You get that? Well, the Bushel, Bushel of Apples. Manage your apples. You like that? Bushel allows you to easily set up and protect all of the devices that you have, uh, d- that you distribute to your team or those you want, uh, that your team already has that they want to bring into the bundle. You see what I'm saying? Into the Bushel. They provide access to company email accounts, install work apps to devices individually or all at once. You can uh, separate and protect your team's personal data from company data, which is super cool. And if your device is ever lost or stolen, you could remotely lock or wipe company data completely. Access to all these features is easily managed from your Apple device wherever you want, whenever you want. How cool is that? It's actually a really neat tool. You know, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. Never leaf your Apple device unprotected. Uh, so <laughs> you can take that and run with it, but if you don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> Bushel makes the complex <laughs> sorry. Bushel makes the complex simple so you can focus on what matters most and take back your nights and weekends. Your first three devices are free forever. Each additional device is just two dollars per month, no contracts or commitment. So you can learn more at bushel.com slash pictures. And we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go check it out. And uh we thank Bushel very much for their support of on taking pictures in five by five and uh go check them out if you if you have Apple devices in your workplace that you want to manage, which is a big pain in the neck, as we can tell by this giant FBI, you know. If you have a hectare of devices. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. Uh, uh, hey, a, a judge ruled in favor of Apple in New York. Uh, in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, you know, well, that's a political conversation, but... Uh, I don't know. I think that I there think, are... I think uh, too many people don't understand what's at stake. And uh, they, it, I think it, that it, that's true. And I is, think that it, yeah. even if even if you do understand it and you have certain views, it's like things are different. It's like, you know, yes, I know in the real world, the cops can come in with a warrant and look in my safe. But yeah. at the same we, time, we, I think we shouldn't have different. to we, we shouldn't have to resort to some obscure, you know, 18th century writ to justify this. Well, I think the justification is that they can ask Apple to make this new code for them is, I guess, is, is, is where the All Writs Act comes in. But Apple can say that it's an undue burden and it takes too much time and effort. And that's well, arguing couldn't, what they're couldn't, arguing. couldn't they also argue that it uh, it it. It is has farther reaching it, it, ramifications. Could, which, could they which, say that it undermines the security of the product and the they, platform? They have as well said that, but that's uh, as much a um, that's an overall more political argument than it is a legal argument because mm-hmm. the government will just say, "Well, yeah, we should have the right to get into whatever phone we need to get into as long as we have a court order." You know. Um, well, that's the thing, though. Right. Is, is yeah. the the whole court order part? That's another portion that seems to be yeah. I think, I think, I mean, the whole, it's, it's an interesting, uh, yeah. idea, but that's a whole other ball of wax. That's a whole other ball of, whole that's a whole other, other wax. that's a whole other bushel of wax. Oh, I like what you did there. You see what you did there? Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, I saw this this morning. I, did you see it this morning or did you see it when I put the link in? What are you talking about? The, oh, the, the Gershwin, Gershwin thing. I saw it over the weekend. Actually. Okay. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. So the, the uh, George Gershwin wrote an American in Paris, which is a orchestral piece. And in it, he movie, used Gene Kelly. Well, yes. And then it was used in a movie. Broadway um, play, which I'm going to see. Oh, are you going to see it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in like the main theme uh, in the score is uh, asks 
as an instrument to use car horns as an instrument. And they are labeled A, B, C, and D, these car horns. Right. And people ever since Tuscanini in 1945 or something uh, have assumed that that meant that Gershwin wanted the the uh, horns tuned to the notes A, B, C, and D. And that's the way it's been done because those actually fit into the uh, the the har- the uh, the structure of the song. They actually they're in tune with the rest of the instruments in that part of the song. Yep. And uh, so they kind of fit really tightly. But uh, they found an earlier 1929 recording um, that that Gershwin actually directed that he was actually there for. Um, and the notes are not A, B, C, and D. They're A flat, B flat, D, and and, and A. So they're like all over the place. Basically, they're just car horns one, two, and three, and four, as opposed to A, B, C, D are supposed to be particular notes. Mm-hmm. And people are saying that like it it completely changes the feel of the tune. And there's a great uh, uh, New York Times article where they have two uh, uh, YouTube clips, one of a recent recording of it, and then one of the 1929 recording with the off-tuned horns. Mm-hmm. And they sound and, and and feel very different and i wonder I, if they will change now in light of this i wonder if they'll change the orchestration or the arrangement rather well that, that uh, apparently of the, of the broadway show ab- apparently there are uh rental houses in la and new york that have sets of these horns for when people play these pieces hmm. that, are, that are ready to go and they rent them out for when people are going to do it because this is not the kind of thing your average percussionist has on call all the time and then one of them guys says, I may have to go buy new sets of horns because this means that we've been kind of doing it wrong the whole time. Right. Um, I, I just thought it was an interesting commentary almost on the, the way that artistic intent and the way we see it and historical stuff on, for example, it's, it's very similar to uh, the, people thought that the last, uh, the last judgment on the back wall of the Sistine Chapel was supposed to be dark and moody until they cleaned it. And they were like, actually, it's really bright and whatever, you know, Michelangelo, <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, it's soot. Yeah, Ooh, right. Whoa, soot. Whoa, you know, yeah. um, and so it completely changes the way we see a painting. Basically, our assumptions were all wrong. And, and I wonder how, how often that's true of both photographs and paintings and every other artistic thing that we talk about on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of, that kind of goes into the Ayn Rand stuff next week, theoretically. Um, so I don't know. I just, I thought it was an interesting thing. So if you're a music nerd or you're interested in this kind of stuff, I'll put a link in the show notes. You should go listen to the two different versions. Cause they are, they do sound very different to me. It, I like this quote here. George was thinking harmonically and melodically with the taxi horns. It's not just a sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. But, even if he's thinking harmonically, they are dissonant notes as opposed to consonant notes. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, I, I think George would have saved everybody a lot of trouble if he had just numbered them one, two, three, three and four. four. <laughs> <laughs> also, interestingly enough, uh, uh, Ira Gershwin's nephew, who apparently sort of runs the Gershwin archives now, mm. um, they they talked to him about it, and he kind of went back to see if those original horns, which apparently were car horns that Gershwin got in Paris when he was over there hmm. um, mm-hmm. existed somewhere like in a box and he has yet to find them. And he thinks they may have gotten lost in the shuffle. So it'd be fun if he could find the actual ones. Yeah. See, then, then, then you have your definitive answer, you know, which is always, uh, it's the thing. It's like, uh, when people die, their initial intentions, unless they wrote them down or said them or whether maybe they, maybe they did say it, but they said it 
unclearly or they said it as a joke and people take it as writ, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting. Right. Um, so yeah, I Irish, Irish one. And then l- lastly, there's this Google neural net artwork thing. Did you see this? looks like Geiger. Yeah, it does. Is, but it, is it, they are feeding images into a neural net and this is what the neural net is doing with them. They feel very fractally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, do, I, do you remember, you remember, uh, Kai Kraus back in the day? No. What is it? Who's Kai Kraus? Kai Kraus was a was a software uh, engineer designer. Kai's Power Tools. Oh, Kai's Power those? Tools. Sure. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So Kai Kraus was at the head of that. It, it feels very much like those kinds of interfaces to me. Yeah. You know, that kind of kind of crossed with to your point, Giger, Geiger. Yeah, Geiger, Geiger. And Giger, and Geiger. Uh, um, I, I it's just it's interesting the idea that neural net computer systems will be making art, and where does that leave? You know, it's always the, the there's always the question of, um, you know, wh- where's the line between machines and humans? You know, there's always that question. Mm-hmm. And first it was chess and then it's art. And like at a certain point, I'm sure computers will be making art at the level of humans, you know, or, yeah. or, or indistinguishable. Will, will from, there be a Turing test for art? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there will be, you know, although um, somebody was saying, who was it? The, uh, uh. That that the oh you know what it was it was Alex McDonald my um my tap dancer friend uh, did a TED talk in Ireland recently and I'll find a link to the show in the put in the show notes um and he said something along the lines of you know science and technology and all these things are are help us survive but mm-hmm. the arts are what we survive for you know and 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 I like that yeah and it was it was interesting the way he put it and he was his his argument was sort of oral traditions in the digital age mm-hmm. like what because tap dance is very much a i learned this from this guy who learned it from joe slim who learned it from this other guy who learned it from the nicholas brothers you know um it's it's very much a classical oral tradition and not a we're gonna watch youtube to figure out how this guy did this thing um, right and maybe there's a place for that um both for connections between people uh, and for the larger idea of, you know, what is culture and all the rest. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Well, I think I think you're right. I think that's where where things like StoryCorps uh, are invaluable yeah. in yeah. in capturing sort of these oral histories and these oral traditions that are passed down from fathers to sons and mothers to daughters and daughters to granddaughters and that kind of thing. I yeah, think yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's very important. And I think it's important that, that, that we, that we recognize the importance and do what we can to, to not only preserve it, but contribute to it. Yeah. And I feel like there's also, I like the idea. I, I understand the power of sharing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed this, this weekend I was down, I, w- I went to Florida, I went to Disneyland or Disney world um, and universal this weekend um, with some friends. And, um, I was on the Pirates of the Caribbean and there was the girl in front Caribbean. of me, Caribbean, Caribbean, <laughs> I, <don't> Caribbean. Know. <laughs> I was on Pirates of the Caribbean and there was a girl in front of me taking flash pictures on her phone. Good job. And then sitting there and texting them to people missing 40 feet of the ride. Right. She's staring because you're at her writing texting. the text. Yeah. And then we were on the Haunted Mansion, which is one of my favorites. I like yep. the Haunted Mansion. And there's a guy three cars in front of me with his phone on, just kind of staring at his phone, messing around with his phone. And it's like, you came all the way to Disney. You spent $105 to be here and you're on your phone. Like 
ride the ride and shut up. You know, like have the experience here in this moment. Stop sucking into your phones. Stop taking pictures to send them to other people. Just be here for five freaking minutes and enjoy this with all the other people you're riding the ride with. And right. you don't need to share it. You don't need to explain it. You don't need to talk about it later. Just have an experience and enjoy it as part of your life without having it have it to be something more and connected and whatever it is. It just, it, it kind of drove me crazy. It's like, just ride the ride. Um, and it, I got to tell you, like seeing a screen lit in my peripheral vision as you go around a corner in the haunted mansion completely takes you out of the mystery, like the effect of it, you know? Um, it really, it really bothered me on like a deeper level. I was like, I feel like it's something that's getting lost, you know, although they do, by the way, selfie sticks are now banned in, in Disney. Are they really? They take them away from you on, on the way in, hmm. which is interesting, but I don't know. I just, it's, you know, there, there, there is a time and place for sharing and con- connecting digitally. And then there's a time and place for having a shared experience in, you know, in real life right, with other right. people and just letting it be that. And I feel like we swung way too far to the digital side and we need to come back sure. towards the middle somewhere. Um, and people can you, you disagree know, with me, I'm sure, but whatever. You know, uh, uh, Madame Leota in the crystal ball. Uh, yes. Her, it's her, her daughter is now Madame Leota. Uh, you know, I was wondering about that because, um, there are little effects in both the house and in pirates where they've changed little things to make them right. part of the movie or up the effects or whatever it is. Yeah. And I got to tell you, in some ways I wish it, they just left it the way it was, you know, cause I feel like you could, you really notice the places where they're new and old, but and, even the way it was, wasn't the way it was. Yeah. It I was, know they're constantly, it was, it was toned down the, 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 the haunted mansion of, of yours and my childhood uh, is not the haunted mansion that, that initially debuted. It was terrifying apparently. And the they, original they toned one. Yeah. The original one. And they toned it down. Uh, Madame Leota, the woman that's in the crystal ball yeah. was, I think she was a costume department. Okay. Person wardrobe yeah. costume department. Yeah. And her daughter is, uh, works at Imagineering. So oh, it's sort of, so they brought her you know, legacy kind of neat. You know, uh, when we were, when we were leaving, we took the, we usually take the monorail and I'm like, you know, I never took the boat across, you know, the ferry that goes across. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, let's take the ferry back. And the boat was there and whatever we got on the boat and it was like the, I forget what the title was. But it was some guy's name, like the Jim Olsen or whatever. I'm like, who the hell is Jimmy it? Olsen? Yeah, whatever. And, and and I looked it up and apparently the guy was the head of, he was like a bigwig Imagineer back in the day. And he was the art director, like the main guy who did the Haunted Mansion and Pirates originally. Hmm. And, but he, no one knows his name. You know what I mean? So they like, they right. made, they made his, the boat named after him, which is like kind of That's kind of nice. cool. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, just my, there's my little rant of the day. Put your damn phone away when you're at Disney and just enjoy the enjoy the moment. Or at the movies. Or at the oh god, that drives me crazy. That's why I just <laughs> we don't we don't even we go to the movies as little as possible because of that. Yeah, um, it's annoying. Uh in fact we watched um what's the one last night? Was a Spotlight? Spotlight. Right. Uh I and I made Conrad put her phone away. I was like, if we're gonna watch this movie, phones away. She was like, fine. Nice. <laughs> Get that. Uh, all Dropping right. the hammer. Slam. Right. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk what, about the what, group. What, what, what do you, you got, uh, you got some time to talk about the group? What yeah, do you think? We have time. Yeah. You got some time? Oh, yeah. oh cause it's leisure time. Get it? I Jeez. like that. That's cute. I like We're that a lot. Pulling teeth. 
Uh, <laughs> lots of fun stuff. Lots of lots of relaxation D- going Dil- on. Dilworth's picture of the dumpster. Classic. Is, yeah, it's pretty Dilworth, cool. Love it. Uh, yeah, dig it, dig it, dig it. Lots of you know. I, I love this uh, uh, Alfredo Faz. I think that's his uh, Faz Faz. I'm going to go with Faz. Uh, relaxing at the edge of the world, taking a selfie. Looks like on the corner of the Grand Canyon or on one of the yeah. edges of the Grand Canyon. Let me tell you something. You couldn't pay me to do what he's doing right there. No? Way too close to the edge for me. Hmm. I get very nervous. Um, huh. Yeah, that, that's... that's. Yeah, but you're, you've been on the top of half... You've called me from the top of Half Dome. No, I've been at the top of Half Dome and you're behind a railing. But at the places where it's like 2,000, 3,000 foot drop and there's nothing... I, here's what I think. I think I sit there and I have my feet over the edge or whatever it is. And then somebody's like, all right, let's go. And I get up to go and I turn around and there's a squirrel there that I didn't see. And it startles me. And I, you know, leap backwards. And I'm like, Whoa! <laughs> right. It's, it's the, it's the one in 10 million chance that something I can't control happens. You Death see what I'm saying? Squirrel. <laughs> you know? What the? <laughs> right. Right. You know? All right. Um, so yeah. Uh, so good for him, but, uh, no, thank you. Michael, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up. Atanasio, yeah, 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 that sounds about right. Atanasio, Michael, uh, in New Jersey, Atanasio. beautiful, beautiful shot uh, with the sky boat heading heading out to sea. Yep. Um, Millie's picture of the snow. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. Uh, let's see. What do we? Well, got I like here? Dennis Rancourt's picture in the snow, the um, with the the street light. Mm-hmm. That one's beautiful. Tyler on the edge of uh, a lake, nice. a body of water. Love that. Nice little flare. I like flare. Yeah, I know. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, who else is here? Oh, look at Hugh's cute cat. There's a lot of pictures of cute cats. Have you noticed that? Right. Yeah. Oh, look, it's Brody when he was four weeks old. I like Carl's picture. That that dog is so cute. You know, the one he found like in a bag on the side of the road. Right. That dog's turned into a little bruiser. I'd like a dog. Yeah, you should get a dog. Oh man, yeah. we were we were down in Florida and visited Conrad's friends who have a Bernese Mountain dog. I don't know what that is. Um, well, look it up. They're very. very I'll look cute. it up. I'll look it up. Uh, but they're they're uh, they're very 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 big and cute. They're like they're like bears. Yeah, uh, and they are. And here's a here's a link to some pictures. Um, and the the dog's name is Maisie. Maisie's nice. not very bright, but super super cute. Nice. So I spend time with Maisie. Um, good stuff. Uh, Gardner, a dancer takes a break, leisure. That does not look leisurely to me. Oh God. You know, uh, that looks incredibly painful. uh, A bunch of my Taylor friends, female Taylor dancer friends put up a thing on Instagram the other day of them doing some weird stretching thing on a machine. There's like these machines that you stretch on. It's like Pilates with machines and they're sitting there. Jeffrey, they lean back and they take their right leg and they go completely up backwards and then out to the side and then arch their back. So their heads are, I was just like, I I don't even know how you would do that with CG, let alone doing it in real life. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 No good. No good. Uh, Hey, the, uh, the uh, the 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 uh, phase that we talked about the hundred megapixel hundred megapixel phase yes uh, Hugh uh, at the Smithsonian they had a demo of this thing and uh, he said it was pretty wild uh, and that they, is a they, uh, it must be a Sony sensor too right hundred megapixel phase I think so because it's CMOS uh, so. you control it with your phone with your iPhone you can control uh, 
all of the parameters with your phone. And he, he posted like the raw file, 580 megs. <laughs> Have fun. Right. Yeah. Yeah. En- enjoy you enjoy know, that on an eight gig computer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go go ahead and edit that on your on your MacBook Air while yeah. you're sitting in Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, Robert, little snapshot of his son, Leisure, reading a Ken Follett book. Is it Follett or Follett? Uh, it's it's Follet. Is it really? No, I don't know. <laughs> okay, because the guy is everywhere. He's written a ton of books. I've I've never read anything by him. Uh, ben Brown. Leisure spot, finding a spot of light and watching what happens. I love that. Love that a lot. I do that. Steve McCurry does that. Lots of people do that. Yes. That's good stuff. Yeah, find, find a good spot and just sit there. Just see what happens. Yep. Um, Bruce, watching people sketching in Tokyo. I got to get over to Tokyo. Tokyo is a hell of a place. Math, Matheson has promised to uh, introduce me to the world of whiskey. Oh, boy. Yeah. Whis- yeah, whiskey so scares me. So, uh, you know, I'll be wandering the streets of Tokyo, half in the bag, <laughs> trying to take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> What's out of there? That's right. Yeah. Come on, Chris. We can make it. <laughs> as, if, as if you're going to get something that's in focus that time. <laughs> so wrong. All right. What do you What do you got for this week? You just you just you called a late a late audible and you added this. What do you got? Uh, I, I I was just I was just throwing it out there. I was saying imagined. Imagined. What do you think? No good. Hasht- hashtag imagined. Imagined. Imaginary. 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 Let's do that. Yeah. Imaginary. That's it. Hashtag imaginary. Imaginary. Uh-huh. I'm going to mm-hmm. take a picture of an of a street and my imaginary friend. Uh, Yeah. I, that's actually what I was going for. I was, I was teeing friend. this one up for you. So you have a chance to, you know. <laughs> or a picture of a rabbit with the caption, turns out he's real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so wrong. Yeah. Uh, photographer of the week. I, I dig this. Uh, this guy's name is, uh, Ernesto Bazan. Ernesto Bazan. Who is in, uh, New York City, uh, in Brooklyn, actually. And, uh, I know about this guy cause, uh, my buddy Coupon, uh, was hanging out with him the other day. He's like, you ever heard of this guy? And I was like, no, but he looks really, really great. And, uh. Yeah. His, this, this book, Isla. Yeah. Looks fantastic. It, it it has a little bit of a um, Salgado feel to some bit. of it. Yep, a little bit. Um, the way his black and white stuff is, and 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 the guy's like all over the place. He's in uh, he's in Havana. He's down in South America. He's in Trinidad, um, taking pictures for. He has a whole Cuban uh, trilogy uh, that was written up on the Lens blog uh, last year, two years ago. Which is mm-hmm. really really great. Uh, apparently, he also does um, uh, he also does workshops, which uh, apparently are 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 very well regarded as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and uh, his color work too. If you look through the pictures from Al Campo, uh, the 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 time link there mm-hmm. um, is 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 it's. It very analog feeling, and I don't know if he's shooting. I'm assuming he's shooting film because, like, this stuff from 2006 feels very filmy to me. Like the colors are kind of all over the place, but in a good way, right? Uh, 
And just, it's sort of that documentary style that feels, makes you feel like you're there, but you're also taking a, a selected slice out of reality, you know, making it, making it feel like it's, it's, you're getting a point of view while also getting a sense of the place, um, which I think he does really well. Maybe, maybe this is for next time, but this kind of gets us back to the, the color of these feels thematic. It doesn't feel like it's natural color. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And so, so is this an example for you? Because you had mentioned stills versus the moving image. Do you notice the color of these? I do. Yeah. But uh-huh, I, mean, it, uh-huh. I, I notice them in the sense that I look at that and I go, that feels like film doing something weird to the color as opposed to somebody making specific decisions about the color of the image. Mm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. that daylight balanced uh, film is shifting this blue over here because it was late in the day or, you know, that kind of like weird sort of almost uh, uh, Kodachromic, but also like that crazy. What's the what's the crazy infrared film that that one guy was using in the jungle? Oh, right. Uh, uh Richard, uh, I know who you're talking yeah. about. That goes pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, somewhere in there where you just go, oh, wow, that is kind of odd. But at the same time, it still feels analog as opposed to feeling mm-hmm. like manipulated digitally. Um, but uh, this guy's been around for a long time. I think he was born in the 40s. Uh, so he's 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 like one of those guys, you know, and uh, still doing his thing. And uh, if you are you interested in this kind of stuff, you should check out his workshops because uh, oh, he was born in 1959. Got a camera when he was 14. Read this last article, listeners. Uh, Camaraderie in Cuba, Ernesto Bazan's self-publishing philosophy. This is this is one of the things that got me on this this tease for next week around self-publishing, and and if you don't publish it, no one else will. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, give give a give a give a read to that and see what you think, and that'll kind of uh, get you in line of of where we where potentially will go next time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's plenty of stuff there. <clears throat> But uh, yeah, anyway, Ernesto Bazan, go check it out. Uh, good stuff. Uh, got anything else? Yeah, this is this is really good. Uh, podcast at ontakingpictures.com. We'll send an email to Jeffrey and Bill. And uh, if you can leave a voicemail, 347-687-9411. We'll, uh, we'll, you can leave us a voicemail. And uh, we are on, uh, we're both on Twitter and the Instagram at Bill Wadman at Jeffrey Sidoris. Uh, you got anything else? I, not really. Well, I'll talk to you offline. I've just, I read an article on how much money Twitter has lost. Oh. <laughs> yeah, They've never made a that. profit. Of course not. Well, because uh, it's like, it's like Amazon where everything that comes in, they're using it to expand and blah, 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 you know. Right. This Interesting. Is, this is not, uh, yeah, this is not news. I mean, in the sense that, yeah, that's always happening like that. Um, but Yeah. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week and can't wait to see the imaginary photos. Ima- oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's awesome? Imagine, back there? imagine that I posted something. Yeah, there's just, there's just nothing there and everyone's just right, like, hashtag right. imaginary. Right, right. <laughs> it's like wise asses. <laughs> it's like the, the teacher who comes in, none of the kids did the homework because they... Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, all right. Freddy, Freddy's hitting the cancel button even now. <laughs> Talk to you later, Jeffrey. All right. See ya. Going on and on the way we are for so long. Too many friends.
Say what you wanna say. I know what you will say. Will.